Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer, and you're listening to The Heart of It Podcast, where we chat about what matters most in the world of HR, the people. And in this episode, the tables are getting turned as a guest returns to be the host and ask me the questions. Jeff Harry, who's been on the podcast in January and then came back again for a second episode, is here today to facilitate a conversation about the woo-woo factor in HR. Every episode, I introduce myself as an HR intuitive and healer, and I recognize that those terms have been associated in the past with a little bit of woo-woo. However, if you've been following my winding journey, you know that I have come to these conclusions as a result of a lot of my work and research. In this episode, Jeff is going to help facilitate the conversation as I share with you why I think the woo-woo factor needs to be brought back into HR or is needed in HR. But before we get to that episode, I want to take a moment and do kind of a last call to all of my leadership ideology alumni. Now, I know some of you may be asking yourself, am I alumni or maybe considering that you're not alumni because you didn't go through that formal program? Well, I want to take a minute and just say, if you've worked with me and we've articulated a concluding statement that helped provide you clarity, that's similar to Simon Sinek's why statement, maybe I call it a philosophy, you have to realize that this program that we now call leadership ideology has evolved over time. If you did that clarifying work, to lay a foundation as a leader, you are alumni. And the reason why I'm asking you to do that work of identifying if you are alumni is because we've created something really special for you, an exclusive alumni community called Leadership Legacies. And you can learn more at leadershiplegacies.org. But I wanted to make sure I make this announcement today because starting in August, we have a lot of the um, membership kind of perks uh, starting in that community that's 100% free to our alumni. This is a resource that I've been envisioning for a long time, uh, but you can join for free, get access to the connecting piece and some of this sustain sustaining piece. And then obviously we're also incorporating some continuing education that you've requested as well. So if you are alumni or think that you may be alumni, check out leadershiplegacies.org. And let's get to this episode. Let's do this. Let's hand the mic over to Mr. Jeff Harry. Here we go. Jeff Harry with Rediscover Your Play. And we are diving into HR and woo-woo. And can they actually coexist? Do they need one another? But I think before we start that, we have to get into why we find HR so problematic. So Sam, you were just telling me about the story from when you first started with HR. Can we start there? Yeah. So, um... It's actually, so when I went back to do my master's, so when I decided that I wanted to train rather than terminate people, 
I went back to uh, pursue my master's of education. And so, it, you know, fancy name for the training and development program. And I remember my first class, which is like the fundamentals of training. Uh, we go in there, there's like 12 of us. I'm the only HR practitioner in the room. Everyone else is from a different background, wanting to be a trainer. And my, my professor walks in and he has these packets of this article. And he's like, we're going to start here. And he lays them out. And the article's called, Why We Hate HR. And I'm like, well, isn't training like a function of HR? And he's like, no, we're going to talk about why we are not associated with HR. And I'm like, but I'm in HR. Like, that's what my entire career has been. And he's like, well, maybe you will learn something as to why we hate HR. <laughs> it's almost like two gangs that you're like, you don't want to talk to that gang over there. Yeah. Well, and that article is so popular, it got rewritten. And I think someone, uh, like, not even, like, maybe it's 10 years ago, and it says why we still hate hate HR. Basically, like, researched the, the attributes and said how it still hasn't changed, and they don't really seem to care. Wait, so what do you think? What? Do, do I hate HR? <laughs> do you hate HR? Well, first, let's, be, let's establish... And also, just, can you define HR so that it's clear? What, what do you mean? What do people mean by that? Well, I think that that's a, an interesting topic. So the way that I define HR, I think, has broadened. But the way that we textbook define HR, it's the management of people. So it's any function that's associated with the people administration in business. That's an HR department issue or concern or task. Um, so this is, you know, obviously employee relational work, but this is also your, your compliance, your benefits, your payroll, um, you know, development of employees, which is training. That's why I technically should fall in that function. Uh, but that is what's happening there. Um, I don't hate HR, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I think that HR has been misunderstood. Oh, tell me more. What do you mean? Well, I think that you know, when HR first came into the world from a management perspective, uh, it was because the management of all the tasks needed to take care of people was so daunting that you needed help. And so they hired right. someone to help. Right. Um, so it wasn't with an intention of identifying what people truly needed. It was more so like, where can I take all these these tasks and dump them? Right. And so here, HR was, HR was born. And a lot of them was administrative assistants who inherited it. Yep, that's true. And now, yeah, and, and so we still see, like, personnel assistant. We still see these titles still in play. Um, and so I think that no one really understood what that function was from the, the beginning. It's just kind of like it happened, and now we're just kind of evolving, and we keep teaching, and laws start showing up because people are saying they're being treated unfairly, yeah. so we have those, and that falls with that task, so we just give it there, instead of approaching it from a strategic place. Um, and I think that's what's caused a massive imbalance in the way that we function and do work right now. It's so interesting you say that because it's like, HR is where everything that everyone is avoiding gets dumped, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to fire people, give it to HR. We don't want to deal with the paperwork, give it to HR. We don't want benefits, uh, that's an HR thing. So I can stay being creative and, you know, leadershiply and management stuff. But any of the stuff of like, oh, I have to have a difficult conversation with my staff member. Yeah, can we uh, bring in HR for that? Like, I think, and it has this like matriarchal sense to it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm 
where it ends up being like, you know, HR, when at my former organization, we referred to HR as the mothership. You know, mm -hmm. and it was like the mom of the organization managing all the things that no one else wants to, to handle, which is like well, horrible. <laughs> I think of it. But I also think as it has evolved, we have seen that change in who fills those roles. So for a period of time when they thought HR was too soft because they were right. too motherly, then all of a sudden I remember all my colleagues were like ex-military coming into these. Like that's what they were hiring was ex-military. And so they were so black and white. And so now we had that mix in there. Um, we have this uh, personality tool that we like loosey-goosey developed that was meant to just be fun classifying hr into certain buckets and one of the personalities that is the bulk of them was we call them dragons and say how they're like fire breathing and um you know just so task oriented yeah. which you would think of this fantasy driven kind of creature whereas then we have these playful creative people focused on engagement and culture we call them unicorns but they're rare because the dragons are usually what dominate because that's what we have created HR to be. That's what we have gotten comfortable saying that adds value because you do all the stuff that I don't want to do. Right. And you do it really quickly or efficiently, which then lacks empathy because you're more so pushing paper. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question. Well, Jeff, I mean, what is your experience? I mean, you're in training, so I got to imagine that most of your contact when you go into an organization is dealing with HR. Yeah. So you probably have seen other HR practitioners. What is your experience when you approach them and you're talking about it from a development perspective? Well, it's, and it's funny you say that because when I was like working on our startup, I found myself in the HR role, hiring, recruiting, like I was doing it before we like, I had delegated to somebody else and I hated it. I just hate because it was like everything that came at you. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that. That sucks too. Like, I don't want to fire people. Like, like I got really good at firing people. I just got really good because it was just like, no one else wants to have this conversation. It was just like, you, you suck. You know, it's time for you to go. Like, I, I was like that. I mean, I probably said it in a nicer way, but I was just like, I don't care. Like, I'm fine with that doing this. Um, but it was like, you, you came, it was funny because it was almost like you came to save the day and then you never got credit. <laughs> you, never, you came, you cleaned up messes and then you never got any of the credit because then there would be like something else. So I can actually, as you're describing this, I can now understand why HR people are the way they are because you're, you're, you're constantly knocked down with all of the problems, right? Like later on when I was doing all, I'm like, my title was VP of Marketing and Fun. I'm doing all the fun stuff. And then I talk to like my HR people and they're like, it's horrible. Like we're struggling, they're recruiting, and you know, we had a like this person, we're dealing with this, you know, lawsuit or whatever it is. And I was like, man, that sounds horrible. See ya. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even want to have that conversation. So now when I talk to people as a training and development person, I was just talking to someone yesterday about this. You know, they usually are the person that I'm talking to where they're like, I'm really fun, but the people I'm with are not fun. You know, like that, I, the amount of time I've had that conversation where I'm like, I feel like bringing you in for this thing. And I'm like, do you think anyone else wants you to bring me in? Because it sounds like just you, you know? 
That's because it's a unicorn. It's like this random rare person. But like, so all the fun pieces of HR is not encouraged. It's not there. And I love how you said like they don't get credit. I remember my second senior HR job. So like, you know, moving up in the world, I got to interview with this VP of HR at a pretty big company. Thought I was like a big, you know, making it. And he asked me this question. He said, tell me about you know, one of the greatest decisions you've ever made as an HR manager oh, wow. and how you made an impact. And so I told him this story and he said, but you didn't really make that decision. I mean, you're HR, you just kind of partner and advise. Ooh. And he like wouldn't let it go. He came back to it like three or four wow. times. Like HR is there to advise, like you don't really make decisions. So here's this, this expert on limiting liability and risk from a compliance standpoint because right. that's kind of embedded in our job now um who's supposed to care for people so like i just it seems so backwards to me to say oh my entire organization is fantastic because of the people that i have in it and that's all the responsibility of shelly yeah <laughs> and then by the way shelly you're getting paid less than everyone else what wait yep. what you deal with the stuff that will prevent us from being sued and you get paid the least it's kind of like, I, I get it, it like reminds me of like the teacher, you know, like you're the teacher in the school, you know, the principal's getting all the credit, but it's like the teachers that are keeping this up or the nurses at the hospital that are basically keeping the hospital going and the doctors just come in and are like, hey, everybody, okay, I'm out. <laughs> you know? It's the same thing, it's all. Uh... So yeah, when I, when I talk to, uh, you know, HR people, Either I feel like they are talking to me as if they're hostages. <laughs> like they're being held hostage and being like, I believe in humanity, but no one else here does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, but you talk to each and every one of them and they all say the same thing. They all feel that way. Like, I agree. You know, I, I remember as an HR practitioner talking to training companies, like if I was trying to bring you in, Jeff, yeah. and be like, you got to help me help you. Like, how do I, like, I know that you need to be here, but they don't know that yes. yet. How do I help them know? Like, so you're tasked with caring for the people, yet then you're not even trusted to spend a little no. bit of dough to invest. And you're not allowed to have help. No. Like, like, you need an assistant? For what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, file paperwork, because yeah, that would like, be huge. Wait, wait, what, what are you doing? You, what do you need an assistant for? I mean, can't you just do it? Yeah, can't you just do it? It's just paper. It's not that hard. I remember once running a team building event for this. I will not say the biomedical company's name, but it was in Boston. Um, and we ran this team building event. This is part of the reason why I don't run team building events anymore, because I hate forced fun, especially when there's like not trust in the room. Like, you know, it's like, I hate Susie. Like, I want Susie fired, but what, I'm going to bring some Lego in and now we're going to connect together? No, no, Susie does not trust me and I don't trust Susie. But anyway, I was running this team building event for them and they were like, yeah, you know, we're trying to roll out these new values that we want everyone to adopt. So can you incorporate these values into the workshop? And we're like, yeah, of course, sure, we'll, we'll adapt. And then we did it, and then as we were doing the debrief, we were like, yeah, so everyone, what do you think of these values, you know, that, that I know y'all have been talking about this during the rest of your retreat, and they're like, we've never seen these. What, what is this? <laughs> I was like, 
Did we just introduce your stuff for you? Like, what? <laughs> and you didn't tell us? Like, and then they, and then they told us we did a bad job. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, but that's a great point. Because, you know, from a play perspective, you know, the way that I have been able to use play <laughs> has been for team assessments. So, like, if someone was in denial about where their team is at, we have, there's this stupid activity called the tallest tower. You just throw a bunch of junk in the middle of the table and you're like, I want you to build me the tallest oh, tower uh, possible. We, always the, we would always start with that. We would always start with that. Yeah, and the main objective is that, spoiler alert, that they're all supposed to work together exactly. to build the tallest right. tower. Exactly. Not right. everyone grabs stuff. Right. So then you get to watch what happens to the team. And no lie, like how many times I've seen, like if they have hostility happening and they're like, it's in denial, a, everyone will take the materials and I've seen it happen. They go to the other side of the room and then they leave like Betsy by herself. Yep. And she's building her tower by herself. Yep. And I'm like, okay, so tell me manager, how do you think there's not a problem? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one of the team building, it might've been the same one. This guy was knocking over other people's towers. I was like, what are you seven? Like, what are you doing? Like, is this what you do at your job all the time? Just sabotage everyone else's work? Be like, you know, Susie's not really doing her work. I don't want to, like, don't say it's for me. I just got hurt. It's like, God, so petty. So petty. <laughs> so these are the things that, like, HR is supposed to solve. Which like, is crazy because that's so, they have to solve that and compliance and fire people and training and development and, oh, like, yeah. And then the bigger organizations have the departments and they don't talk to each other and they all blame each other. So as we get bigger, then there's a benefits department and a payroll department and they only cross like enemy lines when absolutely necessary. And usually it's to point fingers at the other rather than universally. And most training departments will say we technically fall under HR, but we're not HR. It's <laughs> so interesting that you're saying it. I think I'm like having an epiphany here is the reason why certain companies are so um, layered with, or bureaucratic with so many departments because people aren't willing to address bigger issues, so then they just create a new department? Um, it could be. It also could be that there's just no thought process. I mean, I would make argument that there's a lot of organizations that are overstaffed because- yeah. Like extra, we just like office, yeah, you have like extra space, and, right? And you give it. So like, and this goes back to the original question: If we were like the true intent of HR is not just to manage these tasks, but to help us take care of our people and cultivate the potential that they have, like, would we have structured that differently? Would it have been one person, or would you have been like, well, no? It's this person who has administrative needs. Everyone has somewhat of a version of a corporate attorney. Cause like if, if you're doing business and you're not talking to an attorney, I'm sorry, but you're just a ticking time bomb till you're going to get slapped with something. Even the most experienced practitioners need an attorney to review something. Right. Um, and so, and I think that's what happened is like, I just don't think there was anyone. And here, I'm also going to say, I don't think this is the fault of, the operation side of management. Cause I learned in undergrad, 
my brain functions differently than their brain. Uh -huh. Someone who's wired for widgets and processes and, you know, there's a reason why they make jokes about HR not understanding the financial statements is because we live in two different yeah, worlds. Yeah. Right. Two different uh, it doesn't brains. mean that we don't understand the financial statements, but it's just, we are used to talking about people. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually, in my undergraduate degree, I struggled with business classes where I did not know if I was going to make it. And my HR professor actually talked to some of my operations manager professors and said, can you let her approach it from people? Like, let her switch it to staffing. Mm -hmm. Instead of talking about widgets, supply and demand, let her talk about staffing cycles. And I did it and, and they were blown away. They said, we've even learned stuff that we've never thought about. Wow. Um, and it just shows that our brains operate differently. Yeah. So if you didn't have an HR person at the birth time of HR, <laughs> If that mindset was not in the room, which I keep hearing that song from Hamilton, in the room where it happened, room where it happened, like it wouldn't, it didn't happen. Right. Like, so now that's why we're here where we are today. So then going forward, getting into the woo woo of the HR that is, doesn't exist. Um, what is HR need that, that, that the woo woo world can teach us? So I think that, you know, as we're thinking about woo-woo, woo-woo is what we use to describe things that we can't tangibly touch. Exactly. And there is a magic that happens when we love our work and we engage with each other. And so how do you maximize that? And I think the woo-woo, <laughs> you know, starts talking about things like energy, starts talking about um, things that, yes, we can't explain, but there have been scientific studies that say it exists. So there has been measurement. If we're going to talk about physical energy from the body, you know, there have been studies that have been done. They can measure the energetic waves that vibrate from your body, which means, you know, Jeff, you've got an energetic body. I do. Uh, if we were in the same room, we would be experiencing each other's energy and we would either like it or not like mm -hmm. it. Uh, which explains a lot why in a matter of minutes we can decide if we like someone or not like someone without them saying one word. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all energetic vibrations. Or, or just thinking about meetings and all of the different energies in a, in yeah. a meeting and what, and what makes a good meeting, what not a good meeting. And a lot of people focus on like the yeah. logistics of it or we got to work on the agenda, we got to do this. When like sometimes it's just something as simple as what was the first thing that was said at the meeting? Was it a positive thing or a negative thing? You know, were we, how did we frame the meeting when we started this, right? Yeah. Is this a brainstorming session? And everyone's like, no, that's a stupid idea. The energy now in the room is totally different. Yeah, and, and it's also influenced by what you bring into the space. So if your energy's all jacked up and you're, you hate your job and you're the leader, like that is, they can feel it. And I think that's where the, the woo-woo comes in is like, we know that there is feelings and things that we can't explain. And we know that because like, if we look at something like engagement that everyone's been talking about, yep. we got to re-engage. Everyone's disengaged. This stat of disengagement, if you look at the stats, they have not changed for 20 years, no. regardless of every book that has been written. You know, with a few outliers that maybe have had right. success because they probably have embraced some woo. 
you know they're taking care of their cultural energy they're taking care of their organizational energy. they're taking care of their people's energy well this is why i love tony shea man and what he did at zappos dude i mean before you know all the other stuff but you know like because he prioritized his staff over customers and it was like, well, what mm -hmm. do you mean by that? It was just like, well, I want my staff to be a certain way. And like, and I loved the fact that he was willing to like pay people to leave, to be like, yeah, you're not the right, you're not the right vibe for us. Because I think, I don't know, now I feel, and let me know your feelings on this, but because there's so much uncertainty and the leaders are supposed to be certain, but they don't know otherwise, all of that anxiety is now being rolled down to everybody else and no one is able to like, I think everyone is internalizing that anxiety and now they're just um, tired because they're like, it's been going on for so long. When are we going to finally get back to certainty? Yeah. Well, I mean, even think about, I mean, you talk a lot in your work about this inner child and unleashing it again. Why, why is the inner child dead, Jeff? Why, why do you have to unleash it? What has happened to these adults that you have to focus your work on inner child? The reason why is because we've been shooting on ourselves for our entire life. And we've been looking for the right and the wrong way of doing things. And then this pandemic hit, and now it's not very clear cut. And, but it was, it was bad before then, right? Where it's just like, you know, you go to work, you're supposed to, I, I think play happens all the time. So people pretend to be a certain person, right? They wear that costume. They pretend that they know what they're doing at their work, even though they don't. You know, that other people pretend, oh, that person knows what they're doing. So they pretend, oh, I know too. And then everyone's pretending to like play a role and, and you get so far removed from what you want and then that exhausts you because you devote, what, 50 hours a week, 2,500 hours a year to being someone that you're not. So then no wonder when you get home, you just want to binge watch Netflix. like, And then you do it all over again. And you do that for enough years, right? And then we're talking about 40,000 hours that you've accumulated of not being yourself. So no wonder you can't tap into your inner child. You haven't, like, played with it in, you know, over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. One, I think play is like, you know, if we talk about traditional team building or, you know, anytime we're getting the body even moving or laughter, I mean, from my medical Qigong studies, we learn these healing sounds, which is all about generating internal vibrations to release things that are stored in the organs emotionally. Laughter and dancing and movement all do the same thing, mm -hmm. um, and which is why we feel so good. I honestly think that I'm just not in a dark place in my life because I laugh so much. <laughs> That's so true, dude. When I did my laughter yoga certification, which by the way is quite easy to get, you get it in two days. You know, um, uh, no, they talked about how like people would go home earlier from the hospital if they were laughing more, right? But like to try to incorporate that in the workplace, ooh. Oh, like, I don't want to, there's, I was saying this to someone the other day, there's vulnerability in play. There's vulnerability in having fun. I, I remember I was running on, you know, again, I hate forced fun, right? When I, because I would run all these team building events and I was like, this is not working. Um, 
because I remember running one and I was like, you know, I was talking to them. I was like, you know, sometimes you play how you work. And someone just stood up and was like, I do not play how I work. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> because she was, she so much sees work as pain and sacrifice and a horrible, and that's just what you have to suck up in order to get to the weekend. Like whatever you need to do to get to that freedom time. And I was like, man, that's a hard place to be in, but I feel like a lot of people are there. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, that's the problem. Like that's where we have gotten there because of where we started, where somebody did have a bright idea that there was something missing but yet the lack of definition and just letting it organically grow, it became uh, not, it became the thing that was not filling the vacancy that was needed, that we're missing in leadership, that we're missing in strategy. And now we have these other, you know, like you see it, I see it. And so we're coming at it and going into these organizations, we're meeting with people and saying, you just let us in, like give us, give us an hour and you'll see a little glimmer of hope. If you give us a year, my gosh, could you imagine what would be possible if you let us just shift a couple of things and do a different, you know, it, it's, it's what, it's just, it's what's missing. So if the woo-woo factor is missing. So if you were sitting in front of like 500 CEOs, right? And you were on stage and you had like a minute or two minutes to explain why the why woo woo was needed back in hr what would you say i mean i i think i would say if you are a ceo that is truly a chief vision officer and you have a vision for what you want to achieve or a mission that you're really passionate about for you to guarantee that happening you need your people there with you and you need them at their greatest potential. And the only way to do that is to allow them to take care of themselves fully. That includes physically, mentally, energetically, and even spiritually. Ooh, first off, that was amazing. Okay, same question, slightly different. If you were standing in front of 500 uh, burnt out HR, execs who've been in the game been in the hr game forever right and have just been stuck doing the same thing over and over again what would you say to them wouldn't it be nice not to feel the way that you do today not like it tomorrow even a little bit better it's not possible. like there is what if they were like it's not possible have we tried everything? it's possible i would say let's all just take a deep breath in and that is the healing sound for grieving. Let's let's shoo out the anger. Shoo. And you know what's uh, fascinating to me is like, <laughs> but like it, HR people legit carry so much anger and so much sadness around and they don't know it until they make these weird sounds and they feel it. They feel that the sadness lives in the lungs. So they'll feel it vibrate in the lungs and the um, anger lives in the liver. So you want to know why we all like to get our sippy sip on and why those wine free unlimited bar open bars at the Sherm conferences are so popular. It's because our liver, all that anger and frustration is like, just calm it down. 
down. Just give me a little sippy sip of some red wine and it's going to be great. So, it, you know, through those little simple things, it can, it can be better. And I guarantee they would, they would feel it. Cause I've seen it happen and they're like, how did that happen? Oh my goodness. That is and I've had people say that the shh feels like it's like surround sound. They're like, why is it so loud? Stop oh, screaming. That's... And I'm like, full body experience you are releasing, which is what's happening when you're laughing. So I would say Hi. we could also laugh for 90 seconds and I guarantee you would feel a little bit better. So. Oh, I love that. Because you know what? Another way you could do it is you could approach them and be like, how much is your uh, bar bill per year? You know? <laughs> Our food, man. How like much, we love our food. Yeah. How much do you? How much do you spend? I can reduce that budget for you by actually doing this, so that your people don't feel they need to drink so much. <laughs> no, but like, no lie. Like, I went to my first HR national conference, and they had those mixers that they offer in the evening. Right. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna push myself out of my conference. I'm gonna go. You go there, they gave me like a, a glow wristband. Yep. It was like in this nightclub. Yep. It was like a rave. There was like basically plates of shots walking around. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? This is more intense than college. And this, I don't... Is, and this is the Sherm people, right? Like, <laughs> like yes. Like, what are y'all, what are y'all so crazy? Let's back it up. Let's realize what we're numbing. With the parks and rec people, when I would do parks and rec conferences, just like, just get messed up, dude. They were doing yeah. beer pong. I was like, what are you doing? I'm doing beer pong. There's like a tournament happening in here. Like, have y'all not, like, why? But you're right. I, wait, can you tell me more? So what is actually happening in your liver? What is? So, uh, so in Chinese medicine, all of the, there's five core yin organs that have corresponding yang organs and they hold an emotion with them. Uh, so when that organ is out of balance, the emotion will basically kind of rise up as this symptom trying to tell you that there is something going on. Uh, so like if you are just sad all the time, everything makes you sad. And usually you feel the pressure in your chest. So you'll see people like hunched over, they'll, uh, they'll grab the chest. A lot of um, elderly individuals are like this just because of all the death and grief that goes along with that from life. Um, but so the sadness lives here um, and that shh sound, and there's two of them, basically helps to rattle the lungs and release those energetically. The liver is, um, is anger, frustration, uh, stress, like stress that's manifest as irritation. You've got the spleen with self-doubt. You have the the heart with a deep rooted kind of anxiety that's rooted to, you know, a lot of inner child work associated there. You get your kidneys with fear of the future mm -hmm. um, and that are usually pretty drained. So at the end of the day, if you notice when your lower back kind of hurts mm. um, or is achy, that's what that is. Your kidneys are our main energy source and they just kind of dry up like raisins throughout the day because of how we abuse our bodies energetically. Wow. So this is this is all energetic body, but then we are starting, you do, you can see physical manifestations happening. Yeah, of course, it's totally yeah. Yeah, because it's all linked together. You're not separate, it's not like ghosting. We don't and... talk about that because then we're just like, oh, well, that person has a history of blah, blah, blah. So that's why they have what they have. It has nothing to do with the fact that I hate my job, <laughs> right? Yeah. And from a Chinese medicine perspective, the physical symptoms are the last manifestation when things have gotten really bad. So what you were hinting at as people are basically getting crapped on their entire career, yeah. 
Like, so when you're like, I've been done 20 years here, it makes sense why you're having physical ailments because there's just been a lack of care for that long. It's so interesting. So I made a TikTok recently that I didn't even think was that great, right? It was just a TikTok of me quoting Jet Li, of all people. Um, but it, it was something along the lines here. Let me see if I can even find it. But it was something along the lines of, um, actually, let me quote it. Give me a moment here. Um, oh, here it is. You are killing yourself for a job that would replace you within a week if you dropped dead. Take care of yourself. And 254,000 people watched that thing. And I feel like, as, you know, on one end, I'm like, great, it went viral. You know, a lot of people saw it. But on the other end, I'm like, that is so sad, dude. That is so sad. Because that means... A lot of people know that it is killing them, but they don't know how it's killing them. Yeah. Well, and, the, and you have to work. Like, you, you need have money. To work. My nine-year-old the other day said, Mommy, I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I want to travel the world, but I don't want to work because I want to have fun. Can you tell me how I get the money to do that? <laughs> and I was like, well, you're on the right path to figuring something out, but I can't help you. <laughs> No, I mean, that's real. I remember there was someone made a skit of like aliens that visited us and the aliens were like, wait, so I don't understand. So what, what do you have to do? And they're like, the guy, the, the, the earthling is explaining like, yeah, so you actually have to work in order to like exist in this world. And the aliens are like, oh yeah, we don't have to do any of that. We just kind of like hang around and do whatever we want. And, you know, it's just like, no, no, no. Like our value is based off of whatever we're creating or, or doing. And then we have to make money. And they're like, yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense to us. So it's like, like the fact that we're in this, you know, and this is the thing that's been really interesting about COVID, right? And, and the pandemic is all of a sudden some people are not working or they're collecting unemployment and being like, I don't want to go back to work. You know, like I just wrote, I just wrote for, I, I submitted this thing for the Financial Times where they were like, we don't understand why people are discouraged about entering back into the workforce. And I wrote that I was like, because a lot of people did not like where they came from and they're not ready to go back to that unhealthy world where they feel exploited all the time. Yeah, I know that you gave them a, a pause and like now they're legit having anxiety and panic attacks about going back. I've watched it happen to people like they are, it's triggering an actual anxiety attack. Like. I don't, I think some of them are literally paralyzed and cannot move back towards it because it, it's that repulsive. It's that bad. So then what would you recommend? Well, two questions. What would you recommend to the person that's having anxiety attacks about going back? I would say, do uh, you have to go back? I mean, like, number one is you can have a conversation. I think it always deserves a right. You know, you got to tell your employer, what you're experiencing. You can't assume that they know, um, but once you do and you've asked for what you needed or told them that they're aware, if they just listen and do nothing, like that's, that's, that's the sign. Very, that's yeah. the sign. So and, like, and then yeah. what would you say, what would you ask the, the employer that is like, I'm trying to get everyone back, but my, my people are not coming back. They don't want to come back to the office. I don't understand. Um, they're people, they have feelings too. 
I feel like the Care Bears need to make an appearance and all of their little bellies need to light up and like remind us of some of the like emotions. Like I feel like, you know, legit is like there people compare this to like the Spanish flu. Like this is this is is a real joke. Like, I'm sorry if you are living and you believe that it's a conspiracy and it doesn't exist, you know, I'm sorry, but there are people who are dying and like I, I have been on boards and I know that people are dying. Like, this is a legit concern. And you have people who have been isolated. I mean, Jeff, you've been isolated, haven't you? I mean, like, I'm trapped in a household with my husband and two kids. So that's a whole nother different kind right, of Right, right, trap. right, right, right. But like, you're, I, I mean, you, what's your living? Like, have you had lots of interaction or is that why we're seeing you on TikTok all the time? That's, that's why you're seeing me on TikTok. That is exactly the reason. I'm like, I need a creative outlet where I get a response back, right? Like, I, why do you think Clubhouse is so popular right now? I mean, people yeah. are spending eight, 10, not 20 hours on that thing, never getting off it. That's how much we desire connection right now. Yeah. So no, I, I would agree with that. That's, I, that's a fascinating correlation with Clubhouse, which, but I feel like that too. It almost mimics like the old water cooler conversation that you just, it's either the old water cooler or later in the day, it's the bar. It becomes a bar. <laughs> it's just bars all day. Or uh, have you been in the ones that are just like where they share music and it's just like all of us in together listening? Oh, wait, are you talking about the lullaby guy? Well, no, I haven't heard the lullaby guy, but there's just like these other ones that make like like study beats or, and it's just like, there's like 20 of us in a space and there's just these beats playing. <laughs> Oh, cool. No, I, I've, I've been in maybe one of those, but, but here's interesting, and this may tie into what we're saying, is like, so the lullaby guy, this guy named Axel, would go into these big rooms, and there was so much ego in there, and so much like, ugh, you know, and he hated it, so he left, and he would make a room called the lullaby room, where he would sing lullabies to people so they could go to bed. And it became such a popular room. It's the most popular room, consistent nightly room on Clubhouse, that they changed the the image of the icon to him. Oh, he's the guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. The the lullaby guy. And he and yeah, the lullaby guy. And and you can like look him up. Axel is his name. And. and it was, and when people asked him why he did what he did, it was just like, I just pursued what brought me joy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Nothing more than just that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did this room for myself because I felt this would be really good for me. And then other people showed up. And if we could come more from that place, we'd be so much better than where we're at. So, okay, so then wrapping up, what? For someone that is listening to this that's like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, woo-woo, and yeah, you should bring it, and I get all the things, and blah, but tangibly, is any of this really realistic? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And why? It's just, it's, you know, I'm sorry, but it just comes down to when we're talking about woo-woo, we know it's intangible. You've got to have just some level of faith. You got to believe that there is something there that you just can't understand. 
And like, if there's no magic or mystery in life, like if we had everything figured out and knew exactly, if I could give you in defined terms then everyone would be doing it, then everyone would be experiencing the success. But we know that what we're doing doesn't work. So like, what do you have to lose? You do this and it still doesn't change in another 20 years. <laughs> and the other thing I would say is, what are you afraid of? One of my mentors told me that oh, several years ago. Yeah, when I said, I was actually doing a play activity. We used to do crayons and this guy would not pick up crayons. He was like terrified of them. And my, I went to my mentor and I said, what do I do to this? And she's like, just ask him, what are you afraid of? And I, and I totally went back and did that. And this guy was like, he started crying and he was like, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna color. I'm gonna, and he made this beautiful picture. It was like this, this thing. So like, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of if you, if you do this? Even if you try it yourself before you even mention it out loud to the greater powers that be in your organization, what do you have to lose? I can answer what they're afraid of. feeling they're they've been numb for so long that if they had hope it's been dashed and if and if someone offers it again they're just thinking it's going to get dashed again and also there's like what we said earlier there's vulnerability in play and it's just like i have gotten through this job by just being numb but it's gonna feel so good it's gonna feel so good they keep thinking going about to how it's bad it's going to feel. But what you're saying is... Wow. It's going to feel good. The woo feels good. <laughs> oh, okay. I love that. I don't even know where this was going to go, but let's go. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I hope you enjoyed having the tables turned with me in the interview seat rather than asking the questions. I really enjoyed, as I always do enjoy my time with Jeff Harry here on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. We clearly have a lot of fun when we're recording these episodes. If this episode resonated with you, the best way to support this podcast is to share it. That's right. Share it. Drop this link in a text message. Send them an email. Get this episode to someone that you know needs to hear it. On top of that, leaving a review on your favorite listening platform is going to do wonders for us. So support our work today by doing that. And before we close this out, I want to talk a little bit about healing Qigong treatments that we offer here at the Heart Center. I thought it was very appropriate since we're talking about woo-woo and HR and can they coexist. Well, one of the huge pieces of my research and outcomes has been using medical Qigong to help restore passionate professionals, people, practitioners using medical Qigong treatments. So I actually specialize working with professionals who are recovering workaholics, uh, dealing with burnout, uh, dealing with stagnation, so just feeling like you're stuck in your career. A healing Qigong treatment has the ability of basically helping to restore you, the restorative in nature or getting you unstuck. We do this by basically clearing your energy field, we strengthen it, and then we balance it. So learn more about healing Qigong treatments at theheartcenter.com. Thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. See ya. (laughs) 